0: Let us pray. Father, we thank You. We praise You for the awesome God that You are. May You be glorified and uplifted. In Jesus' name, Amen. In John eleven forty, it says, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And that's really what this series has been all about, is seeing the glory of God, seeing the light that the darkness cannot overcome. And here in the seventh and final sign, Jesus performs the ultimate miracle, resurrection. Every single sign has been building up to this moment, to this beautiful ultimate reality of the hope that we have in Jesus, that even death cannot overcome the light that is in Christ Jesus. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, I find it interesting that Jesus, when he finds out that Lazarus is ill, he waits until after Lazarus has died. So it says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. And we know that Jesus did this purposefully. He stayed uh, and did not return. And then it says this increment again, four days. Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Now, many scholars believe that John, the Holy Spirit has John put this there because of a misunderstanding about death. You know, he's wanting to reiterate to the reader that, that Lazarus is definitely dead. Because there was this belief among some people that the life-giving breath of God would just hover near the body for three days basically there was still a chance of resuscitation but after three days there was no hope of coming back and this is why God doesn't show up until it's too late I don't know about you but I have discovered that sometimes God does not show up until it's too late he didn't show up until four days after Lazarus was dead. He does not get to Jairus's daughters, into Jairus's house until after Jairus's daughter had died. He did not get into the furnace until after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the furnace. Very often it seems as though God comes too late so Martha says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You know, it's kind of interesting, but Martha is scolding God here. I wonder, have you ever scolded God? Why didn't you come when I asked you to come? Why didn't you step in when I asked you to step in? Why didn't you deliver my child my friend, my family, you're too late, God. Lazarus is dead. My child is dead. The relationship is dead. My finances are dead. But here's the thing, whenever God delivers, He always arrives fashionably late in order to make sure there is no debate as to who saved who. John 11, Did I not tell you That if you believed, you would see the glory of God. And that's what this series has been built on. You know, getting honest with God, the first step. And then believing that He has a solution. And then putting that solution into action. I can't, He can, I think I'll let Him. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. God saying the same thing to you today. You see, the good news about our God is whether it's four days or 4,000 years, it's all the same to Him. You see, death is nothing more than, than just taking a nap to Him. Hallelujah, with Christ, there are no expiration dates. And I love it, Jesus just simply says, where have you laid him? I believe Jesus is asking some people here today the same thing. Where have you laid it? Where have you laid your hopes and dreams? Where have you laid down your calling? Where have you laid down the relationship? Where is your dead faith? Jesus wants to know where you laid it down so that he can bring it back to life. Yeah, but Lord, they've already kicked me out of my house. They've already let me go from my job. We already filed the divorce papers. They've already diagnosed you're too late, God. My bridges are burned. I'm at the end of my rope. But friends, that's what I found. When I'm at the end of my rope, I can reach out and take hold the rope of God. You see, Mary and Martha wanted an intervention But Jesus' plans are always better than our plans. Mary and Martha want an intervention, but Jesus is planning on a resurrection. You need to know that God always has bigger plans than you do for your life. God wants to connect you to something deeper today. This week, God wants you to connect to something deeper and stronger. You've got to be connected to more than just a rescue. You see, for years, my life was a vicious cycle of getting into trouble, you know, and then and then asking God for a rescue. I was an expert at those foxhole prayers. Lord, get me out of this situation. I promise I'll never do it again, only to go right back to doing it again. And I would just constantly ask for a rescue, get back into trouble. Ask for a rescue, get back into trouble. I'll never forget... Uh, i had I was arrested. this was like the third or fourth, fourth time I'd been arrested, and almost every time before I would call my family you know and addicts can be incredibly manipulative and and they know how to pull the strings they know what to say, and so I would just you know I knew what to say and i 'd talk to my family they would come i 'd ask for a rescue, and they would rescue me from from jail and they 'd get pay my bond they would give me money and They did that for a while until they realized, you know what, we're not helping the situation. And I'll never forget this time when I was in jail, I'd called my family, asked them to come bail me out. I was expecting them to come and they never came. And I'll never forget, the guard brought me a little note and it was from my parents. They just said, Richie, we're done bailing you out. We love you, we're praying for you, but we're not doing this anymore. And it was in that moment that it really started to sink in that something needed to change. You know, in recovery, we will tell families, and I talk to a lot of families of addicts and alcoholics, and, you know, often you will hear people say in recovery that you can love them right into the grave. You know, that when we enable people, when we keep them from hitting their bottom, we're not doing them any favors. You know, when we constantly step in to rescue people from their, from, from the consequences of their actions that they don't ever learn, they never hit bottom, you are robbing them of their bottom. And you can love them right into the grave. You see, for years, my life was a vicious cycle of, of, of just wanting a rescue. I didn't want a resurrection. I wanted a rescue. But here's the thing, we have to build our life on something bigger and better than just a rescue. Our faith has to be in something more than just a result or a rescue. We need a faith that is bigger and better than just a rescue. And that's the beauty of resurrection power, is you don't have to wait until after you're dead to experience resurrection. Resurrection can happen right now. Our faith has to be in something more than just a result or a rescue. And this is ultimately what Jesus is telling Martha. Jesus said to her, your, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's got her theology right, but she's still missing it. You see, she's coming to Jesus for a rescue, for a result. She's coming to Jesus for what he can do and not for who he is. And notice what Jesus says to her. Notice what he says to her. He says, what does he say to her? (laughs) I I must have left that out. Uh, He tells her not what he can do for her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. No, Martha, you have placed your hope in something bigger and better than just a rescue or an intervention. Friends, if you're going to have a faith and a hope, the darkness cannot overcome. It can't be just in what God can do, but in who God is. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. All right, it's talking about faith. And then begins Faith's Hall of Fame, which is in Hebrews 11. And you have this amazing list of these people that overcome incredible odds because of their faith, because of of their hope. And in each verse in Faith's Hall of Fame, it begins with two words, by faith. You know, people overcame incredible odds by faith. Abel, God stepped in by faith. This happened and that happened. Verse 33 through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises. Man stopped the mouths of lions. Daniel is thrown into a den of hungry lions. Man, people don't live through that, but through a miraculous intervention, uh, an angel steps into his lion's den. and shuts the lion's mouth. In, in, in verse 34 it says quench the power of fire. Man Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego didn't only look like they were going to go into the fiery furnace. But they went into the fiery furnace. And yet they were miraculously de- delivered. Not only were they not singed. The Bible says there wasn't even the smell of smoke on their clothes. In verse 34, we have the ultimate escape, the ultimate intervention. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Man, the widow of Zarephath and the Shunammite woman, their children, they get their children back, rescued from death, back to life. I mean, what better into a story than one where a dead child is brought back to life and placed in the arms of their mother? Because you see, there is no worse pain than losing a loved one. No greater longing than to see them again. I mean, we love stories like this. It's why our stories end happily ever after. We love the good ending. We love the rags to riches story. We want to know that God can shut the lion's mouth in our own lives. And it may not be a physical lion, but I'm talking about your adversary, the lion, who's roaring, seeking to devour you. We want to know that God can not only shut the enemy's mouth, but shut your critics mouth and the negative people in your life's mouth. We want to believe that the fire of our latest predicament isn't going to consume us. But here's the thing, your understanding of faith cannot end there. And if it does, you are in some serious trouble. Friends, if your idea of faith is if I just pray enough, believe enough, try hard enough, everything will just work out, you are doomed. Johnny Erickson Tata, when she was 18 years old, dove into the shallow water of the Chesapeake Bay, breaking her neck and becoming a quadriplegic. 18 years old and paralyzed from the neck down. And she tells the story in one of her books of how some of her well-meaning but misguided friends told her that if her faith was strong enough that God would heal her, but if it wasn't strong enough that He wouldn't. You see, friends, there is this understanding of faith and hope that if we have enough of it, everything will just work out. You see, these individuals, their hope was based on a result instead of a relationship. It was on an intervention. It was on what God can do and not on who God is. But friends, we can lose everything. But if we still have God, we have everything that we need. And we got to believe that. We got to know that because the days are dark. Second Peter 1.3, it says, His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. I want us to say this together. I already have everything I need. Let's do it again. I already have everything I need. Yeah, but you're only a shepherd, boy. You can't fight Goliath. We only have two, a few loaves and a few fishes. That's not enough to feed these thousands. I've only got a cup of flour and a teaspoon of oil. I don't got enough to feed you. But remember, with Christ, our only's is always enough. And this is why not only does God show up too late, very often God waits until it's not enough. Think about it, when Gideon had 32,000 men to fight, notice, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand saved me. 10,000, God says that's still too much. Israel's gonna try to take credit It isn't until God gets them down to 300 that God says, okay, now I'm going to give you my strength. You see, the moment we say it's impossible is the moment God can step in and do the impossible. It's when you realize you don't have enough strength. You don't have enough skill. You don't have enough power. You don't have enough talent. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough degrees. You don't have enough righteousness. It doesn't matter how good you are at something before long, someone will come along who is much better than you. Man, whenever, whenever um, Chuck sings, man, I think of Isaiah. Isaiah. You know, whenever he sings, I think, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. (laughs) (laughs) And I dwell amidst the people of unclean lips. You know, there's always someone who is stronger. There's always someone who's more wealthy. There's always someone who has got more intelligence than you are. You see, we're not enough, but hallelujah, God is enough. And it's only when you realize that without Him you can do nothing that you see that through Him all things are possible. If you want God to step in in a bigger way, you've got to get out of the way. If you want God to step in, you've got to step out. Because your greatest obstacle to your resurrection is you. But hallelujah, Job, Job is a reminder that we can lose everything and still be heaven's treasure. The world can fall apart and God still absolutely loves you. You see, fortunately for Johnny Erickson and us today, Hebrews, Hebrews 11 does not end with this group that just overcomes incredible odds. It does not end with this group at the beginning of verse 35. It continues with one word, Others others you see if, if if it ended there i'd be in trouble because let me tell you i very often didn't rise to the occasion i very often crumbled but there are many times god did not step in and intervene so does that mean god doesn't love me more than them you know i was blessed by you know that that i didn't die because there was a lot of people and a lot of my friends in recovery and addiction who didn't even go to some of the extremes I did that did die. So why did I die and why did others not die? And when people would say things like, well, man, God really loves you. Well, did he not love that guy who died? You see, our understanding of faith has to go deeper than this. There's nothing special about me, but there is something special about our God. You see, there are others. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. There are others who believed, who had faith, who trusted God, and yet God, for whatever reason, did not intervene. In Acts chapter 12, Peter's arrested, man. He's shackled in prison. There's two guards sleeping on both sides of him. But because he prays and the church prays, a miracle takes place and an angel shows up and busts him out of prison. But there are others. Others, people like John the Baptist, who went into prison, whose disciples prayed, but he wasn't released. No, he was decapitated. You see, instead of being rescued for his faith, he was executed for his faith. What about King David? That is the ultimate rags to riches story. Here's this shepherd boy, this runt. His own dad does not bring him, you know, he doesn't believe in him. But because of David's faith, the guy conquers lion, lions and giants and bears. Oh my. Everyone wants to be like David, but there are others like Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of the king. He had nobility. He was faithful to his crazy dad while being faithful to his friend who was taking his place, all while being faithful to God. You can count on one hand the amount of people who would do that. Jonathan had honor, he had character, he was a great warrior, he had the best education money could buy. But because he was faithful, he didn't become king, he lost everything and he died in a battle far from home. You see, David trusted in God and everything seemed to work out. Jonathan trusted in God, nothing seemed to work out. And then finally, we have the widow Zarephath and the Shunammite woman in the Old Testament. They receive their children back by resurrection. It's the ultimate rescue. Anybody who's lost someone they love, oh, wow. But there are others. Hebrews is quick to tell you there are others, mothers and fathers throughout history, who did not get their children back. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And they went about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted. They were treated poorly. They went about it... Men of women, the world was not worthy wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and in holes in the ground. These people lost everything, but they did not lose their hope. So how in the world did these others remain faithful, even when their faith would not spare them the grave, but would march them right into the grave? How could they have a hope that the darkness could not overcome? Three words in verse 30 a better resurrection a better resurrection. Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. You see, as wonderful as it was for the widows to get their sons back, as wonderful as it was for Jairus to have his daughter back, as wonderful as it was for Martha and Mary to have Lazarus back, death was only postponed. They were still susceptible to disease. They were still susceptible to migraine headaches. They were still susceptible To depression and darkness. You see, as wonderful as these miracles were, they were only temporary solutions. In the chapter right after Lazarus is brought back to life, we have this triumphal entry. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. You see, they're still going to God for what he can do and not for who he is. You see, they're still going to God just to get stuff. And don't get me wrong, bring all your petitions to God, bring all the desires of your heart and your fears and your dreams and hopes to God, but accept the fact that God knows better than you do what's best. Remember that you don't see everything that God sees, and one day when you step into glory, you're going to praise God the way he led in your life. They're still going to Jesus, they want to crown him king, but just to get stuff. You know, it was all about the temporary. Man, the guy can heal the sick. He can feed an army. He can raise the dead. Hey, let's make him a king. Have you noticed how often, friends, our prayers are focused on the t- temporary? Bless the finances, Lord. And I need you to salvage the merits, Lord. And I, I need you to heal the son and daughter, Lord. And again, that is absolutely what you want to do is bring those to God. Just don't be surprised when he doesn't answer your prayer the way you want him to. Because here's why, friends, the people who were going to Jesus for what he could do and not for who he was, when they were following him, this idea that, you know, if, if, if his faith is strong enough, that God is just going to intervene, instead of going to a throne, Christ went to a cross. Instead of getting crowned with a golden crown, he gets crowned with with a crown of thorns and gets spit on and beaten. You see, friends, sometimes our expectations can turn into resentments. In recovery, we often said expectations are the breeding ground for resentments. You see, they expected God to fit into this little box. Their, their expectations haven't been met. And so notice what happens. Suddenly their hosannas turn into crucify him. Suddenly we stop waving the palm branches. Hallelujah. God is so good to waving our fist. How dare you, God? You see, our hope and faith has to be grounded in who he is and not in what. He does. And you know what? When people come up to me and say, Pastor, I prayed so long to God. He didn't come through. I trusted Him, but He failed me. I'm like, "Nah, God didn't fail you. Your plan for God failed you. Don't tell me you trusted God. You trusted your agenda for God. You know, you think you know what's best. You're not, he's not the Lord and Savior of your life. He's your assistant and you just run things by him. God didn't fail you. Your plans for God failed you. But friends, the others in Hebrews 11 put their faith in something better than just a rescue or an intervention. The others, in Hebrews 11, placed their faith not in their agenda for God, but in God. And they cultivated such a deep satisfaction in God that they knew that He was better than anything this life can ever give or take away. And that's the type of hope that the darkness can't overcome. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. This is really important, yet none of them received all that God had promised. The author of Hebrews is, is, is getting us ready. It's bringing us to this powerful point. God had something better in mind for us. So that they would not reach perfection without us. What this is basically saying is, if the Hebrews, in, 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 if the others in Hebrews eleven went through all that pain with just a promise, then we should have even more faith because that promise has come true in the person of Jesus Christ. Man, if Isaiah was sawn in half for a promise, then I can allow my schedule to be sawn in half. For the person of Jesus, if Jonathan was forsaken for just a promise, then I can be forsaken for the person of Jesus Christ. I Man, if Elijah could stand alone on Mount of Carmel for a promise, then I can stand alone for the person of Jesus. And you see, that's what's so amazing about my Lord and Savior Jesus is that when He came to this earth, He chose not to identify with the first group in Hebrews who overcame incredible odds, who everything just kind of worked out, the ones that were rescued. No, Jesus came and identified with the others. The others, those who were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. People cried out, but no angel appeared to release him. No chariot of fire came to rescue Christ from the cross. No one stood in the fire with Jesus. The Bible says they all forsook him on the flood. Don't Talk to me about remnant. Christ is the only remnant on the cross of Calvary. And if you remain, it'll only be because He is burning in your life. Jesus was completely forsaken. He was born in a borrowed room. And He was died and buried in a borrowed tomb. Why? To give you a better resurrection. After the resurrection, the first thing Jesus does to the disciples is He shows them His scars. Why does Jesus do that? I'll tell you why I think He does this. It's because when the disciples watched the nails go into the hands of Christ, they thought their lives were over. They thought their agenda for God was over. They thought they had chose the wrong presidential candidate. You see, those nails ruined the disciples' plans. And they choked and they denied Him and they disappeared. And that's why after the resurrection, the the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they got their heads down. We thought this was the one. You see, they were following their agenda for Jesus, not Jesus. But you know what's amazing is that the very thing they thought had ruined their lives, the nails, was the very thing that saved their lives. The very thing they thought was a sign that God deserted them, was the sign that God absolutely loves them. You see, without a crucifixion, there is no resurrection just because you don't see anything good coming out of your current situation doesn't mean it can't. How do I know? Calvary. Calvary. you got to hold on for the better resurrection. you got to hold on for something better than just a rescue or intervention. You see, in the better resurrection, it is awesome. We don't just get people back temporarily, we get them back for eternity. In the better resurrection, we don't just get it back, we get it back, but better. We get the body back, but without the arthritis, better. We get our family back, but without the fighting, better. We get our parents back, but without the disease, better. We get our kids back, but without the addiction and the depression, better. We get the planet back, but without the pollution and the politicians, better. We get life back, but this time without death, better. And let me tell you, the better resurrection is better than any bank balance. It is better than any power. It is better than any, uh, any affirmation this world can give you. It is better than the best things on this planet. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And if you know this, if you believe this, if you let it go from your head to your heart, you can handle anything. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It just means you're going to get through. On that day, everything sad is going to become radically untrue. All the pain you went through will make your future joy even greater. You will find that the worst things that happen to you in this life will will in the end only enhance your eternal life. When God turns it inside out, you will come to know the joy beyond the walls of this world. Jesus is saying to each of us today, you embrace me and every death will lead to a resurrection. Every failure will lead to a victory. Everything wrong will eventually be made right. You stick with me and every sorrow will eventually turn to gold. Not just a resuscitation. Not just an intervention. Not just a temporary solution. I'm talking about a better resurrection. And this is why I believe... When Jesus shows up at the funeral, if you notice, he never gives Mary and Martha consolation. You know, that's the best we can do, you know. When someone loses someone they love, we say, I'm sorry, so sorry, you know. But anybody who's lost someone they love, they know that the sorry doesn't cut it. It's the best we can do. But I love it, Jesus never consoles her. Jesus never gives her consolation. You know why? It's because Jesus can do one better. Resurrection. (laughs) You see friends, resurrection is not primarily a future event. Resurrection is primarily a person. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Friends, today Christ is offering something better than consolation. It's called a better resurrection. And it's not just going to console you, man. When that day comes, it's going to swallow you whole. And that's why Paul uses this kind of imagery. He doesn't say death will be over. He says that death is swallowed up in a victory. Death is swallowed up. The pain is swallowed up. The disease is swallowed up on that glorious better better resurrection All the pain and loss of this life will instantly be swallowed up by the joy of eternal life. You see, when Lazarus comes out of the grave, he's got his burial linens on because, you see, he would be needing those again later. You see, that wasn't the better resurrection. But when Jesus comes out of the grave, he leaves his burial clothes in the grave because, you see, he won't need them anymore. And hallelujah, because Christ no longer needs burial linens one day I'm never going to have to have burial linens. For as by man came death, by a man also comes the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in their own order, Christ the firstfruits. And then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. A better resurrection. John 11, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Did you know this Greek word for come out here, it appears in the entire Bible only eight times, six times of which are in John when people cry out, crucify him. You see, when people shout out, it's for death. But when Jesus shouts, it leads to life. (laughs) And the good news for our hearts today is that Jesus shouts louder than death. Jesus' shout is gonna swallow death's shout whole. And our King is coming back with another shout. With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise. Just as Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out at the better resurrection, Jesus is going to shout and we're all coming out of the grave. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome. I praise God for each and every one of you. You know, each night we've, we've given the opportunity to make a decision. You can text OVERCOME to the number on your screen. We've got decision cards. We've got connection cards in the pews. If you want to make that decision today, you make it right now. Don't leave this place. If you want to be a part of that better resurrection, then you've got to get hooked up with Jesus Christ. You've got to make a decision. Because friends, if heaven laid everything on the line for us, you got to lay everything on the line for Him. Make that decision today. I thank You and I praise You. God bless.